Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning. We are so glad that you have joined us today. We are going to take on a very tough topic. We are going to talk about notification and a survival guide for Gold Star parents, families, and those who love those who are lost. It's about a new book by Joanne Steen, who is our guest today, and it is called We Regret to Inform You. And I think that the entire military community knows that those words are are absolutely the worst words anyone wants to hear. The official cars, the people coming in uniform to your doorway. It's not just noticed by those who are experiencing it. It, it ripples through the community in terms of, oh no, there but for the grace of God go I. So Joanne, this is a tough book you've written, but so needed. And we are so happy to welcome you to our show this morning. Thank you, Linda, and it's a pleasure for me to be here, and I'm happy that we can take this time to talk about this incredibly difficult subject. It is a difficult subject, and I think in general, I find that grief is not something we do well in this country. We don't. We're a grief-avoidant society. Ooh, I like that. Grief-avoidant society. I've never used that term, but I do think we do a terrible job of doing it. We're an instant gratification society so that okay if this happens then we need to move on quickly but i think we know that grieving is a process and it's difficult and i want to talk today specifically about first of all if you could tell your story and then we'll go into how this ripple effect and how far it reaches within a military community a, a, a unit a battalion the entire service Excellent place to start. Okay. Um, my story is, is one that we've all heard before, and that's I uh, came down to Norfolk, Virginia to work, and I married the first handsome Navy pilot that asked me. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry to say that life took some pretty tough turns. Uh, and about a year and a half after we were married, my husband, Ken Steen, was killed in, a, uh, in an aviation mishap where he was a helicopter pilot out on a training mission, helicopter suffered catastrophic rotor head failure. We lost a crew of seven. At the time this was taking place, we were in the process of moving. We were trying to get pregnant, and he was up for promotion. So it was a type of an ending. It was something I never expected in a million years. At the time, I was a Navy instructor. I was teaching a course for the Department of the Navy. I continued to teach for a number of years afterwards till I figured things out. Around 2000, I went back to grad school, picked up a master's in counseling, went to work in the field, and then 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took 9-11 very personally. I grew up right outside of New York City. So at that time, I left, teamed up with a psychiatric nurse who's also a military spouse, and we together wrote the book that I wanted when my first husband was killed. Mm -hmm. That book is entitled Military Widow, a Survival Guide. It was published by the Naval Institute Press in 2006. After the book came out, it was just a natural for me to go back into teaching, and this time took off the took off the systems theory hat and put on the okay. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. So I taught military leaders, casualty assistance officers, chaplains. 
um, you know, family readiness groups. Essentially, what we talked about was here's what you need to know. Here's what here's what to expect. Here's what to say. Try not to say this. Here are some good practices for half for helping. And here's what you need to be aware of to protect yourself in this very difficult field. And it was in the course of giving a presentation to a Gold Star family group that a mom came up to me and she said, she said, Joanne, she said, I read your first book and I got to ask you, when are you going to write one for us? Uh, and that was the catalyst to write this book. What a strong story, but also how you took on, you, you are the picture of resilience in terms of, okay, you took this, you went on to serve more, which is the tagline on this show is everyone serves mm -hmm. and together we make a difference. And I think that's so very important. Um, there's a lot in between all of those bullet points that you just gave. Mm -hmm. And I think that getting through your own loss gave you an insight into how to manage this, uh, to, to give the advice and the guidance to others. What did you find the hardest part was about going back and writing this second book? Oh my goodness, the hardest part for me was that, first of all, because my husband was killed when we were quite young, I never got to have children. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I don't have children, and I've never lost a child, and how could I write this book for parents? Mm -hmm. And it turned out that not having children for me put me in a position where I was a blank slate when I talked to parents. Mm -hmm. So I was able to take in their stories without bias, my own bias. And I was able to put myself in the position of losing this child just as much as the stories they told me. That was by far and large the hardest part. Second thing was, in the course of this book, I came to realize it was more than just a uh, filling a need in grief literature. There's, there's so little written for Gold Star families about military loss. But in the course of this book, I realized that it became my purpose. Right. And that um, I had to do this. I had to see it through and I had to finish it. It was hard. How long did it take you? Um, on and off, I'd say it took me probably about seven years. Um, I had to put it down for periods of time. I had an unfortunate accident, and uh, it took a couple years to, to get squared away. I had to set it aside when I got married again because mm -hmm. it, it was hard. And then it took me three years to find a publisher to publish this. That does not surprise me. No. Because this is where America wants to close its eyes and does not want to pay attention. Um, I would even venture to say, and I'm gonna say this, you don't have to concur or even comment, I venture to say in many places, the military closes its eyes as well. I, I, I say the military maybe doesn't close their eyes per se, but they want to see families are taken care of, and then they move. Then they go back to the business, really, of, of what the military does. Right. I will tell you though this, and I think you'll find this very interesting. There were three misconceptions that I came across that floored me. Now, oh, I've, been, I've been, you know, I've been in military environments for more than 25 years now, and professionally. And the first thing I came across with this book was the reaction of, "What do we need a book for? You know, the war's almost over." Uh -huh. and I was floored. You know, according yes, to the yes. DOD, you know, we've lost 23,000 personnel since 9-11. And uh, of that 23,000, more than 7,000 are because of Iraq and Afghanistan, which means the remainder, the other 16,000, die in the line of duty that's not connected to direct combat. 
and we can't we can't overlook those people. They this, these men and women and, the, and you know and, and the mothers and fathers, their children died in the line of duty. So that was the first thing that really floored me. Mm-hmm. The second thing that floored me was um, was people would say, "Well, you're military. Aren't you prepared for this to happen?" Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, and. You know, I was so taken aback by that. And I said, well, no, you're not prepared. You know, your service member is young. They're well-trained. They're well-equipped. They're at an age where they think they're invincible. That's a good thing. That's what I want to see in our military, the feeling of invincibility. Mm-hmm. And even if you have even if you have the, the talk, which my husband and I did, you still expect them to come back. It's mm-hmm. it's just and it's it's something you have to believe in that they will come back safe, sound and whole. The last thing, one more thing, because I'm on a roll with this topic. Go for it. The last thing is people would say, well, doesn't the military take care of their own? And this seems to be pervasive in the civilian community. Mm-hmm. And the fact is the military does take care of Gold Star families. And the support you get from the time of notification through the funeral, the memorial, interment, and through the casualty process is above and beyond par none. But, that's, but then after a that period of time... Well, it ends because if you think about parents, they're civilians and they, they don't live near military installations. You know, they live in towns and cities across the country and parents go back, but go back to their civilian communities, which are not knowledgeable of or equipped to handle this type of loss. I would venture to say that the parents who even are prior military are, are also not ready to handle this loss. They're not. And it's funny you should mention that because I was just talking to the American Legion and um, and about how you can be a serving veteran, you know, a previously served veteran and, and lose a child. And it's just a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. I think for them, they understand the, the meaning of serving and purpose maybe a little bit quicker, but it's it's something you're never prepared for. I, how could you be? I mean, as you, you, you pointed it out so beautifully, they're well-trained. They, they feel that they are invincible at this age, um, the young serving, new, newly serving, I should say. Right. Sure. And they, 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 they get up. They, we know these wars. A lot of it was IEDs and explosions and mm-hmm. uh, awful things. And they get up and they keep going. Mm-hmm. And that's the nature of our fantastic military. But when they don't get up... Um, mm-hmm. And the worst happens, then I, I think that I would like to. We're coming up on a break in mm-hmm. a little under two minutes, so I don't want to start this without um, your permission. Sure. But if we go through the process of the notification, and that goes usually to the spouse, and unless the next of kin is a parent, there are phases to this. And it's probably not a one-size-fits-all. Nothing usually is. Mm -hmm. But if we could walk through the process and what you saw and learned as you talked to the parents as you were writing this book, would that be a way to discuss? Sure. It would take maybe a little bit more than two minutes, though. Oh, no, no, no. no. We can (laughs) start it and we can continue it after. So if if you could just start with the, the cars drive up, the uniformed officers head to the door. Oh, and we're at one minute now. So One minute. <laughs> you can just barely start. Let me tell you this, and that's the, I'm going to say the process of casualty support from notification through the end is on a good day, it's unnerving. Okay. Most of the time it's traumatic, not only for the families, 
but I've come to learn it's also traumatic for the casualty assistance officers. Mm -hmm. And you cannot go through this process on either side and remain untouched by it. And, and, and I've, I've taught casualty officers, you know, and I've heard them, I've listened to them, I've, I've addressed their concerns. It is, in many instances, it's, I, I could sum this up, and that's, I was interviewing a casualty assistance officer who had done multiple tours overseas, and who also had been, in this case, an Army CAO. And, and we need to stop. Okay. <laughs> Hold that thought. We'll come back Hold that you. thought. We will be right back after these messages. Absolutely. We'll be back with Joanne Steen, and we will talk further. Sure. Thank you. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. ever check under the bed for monsters when you were a kid? That's what one man from Zimbabwe should have done. When Guy Whittle retired for the evening at the Humani Lodge where he works, he had no clue that an eight-foot crocodile was sleeping under his bed. He got out of bed to eat breakfast and heard one of the housekeepers scream. What's a word for the fear of reptiles? Herpetophobia. Mr. Whittle said that he had previously been sitting on the edge of the bed with his bare feet dangling just centimeters away from the 300-pound croc. Maybe crocodile noses aren't that sensitive after all. What's another word for smelly feet? Podhobromadrosis. To use a term from Shakespeare, these two were strange bedfellows. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Joanne Steen, and we had to cut off when we were discussing the fact that she has taken the time to learn about what casualty assistance officers go through as well, because I think oftentimes we need an understanding of the notification process. Everybody knows how that goes, but we don't think about the other moving parts. And if you would continue with that, that would be most helpful. 
Thank you, and I appreciate it. And when we look at, I'm going to go back and just try to encapsulate this for you, because when we look at military, the factors that make military loss unique, one of them is this casualty assistance process. And not only is it the visuals of the process, but it's the delivery of the news and the circumstances it sets up for families. But I want to share with you about how casualty assistance impacts everyone who's associated with it, and there is this ripple effect. And I was out in, um, I was at an army post and I was interviewing casualty assistance officers for, um, for this book. And I had been talking with the two of these and they were very seasoned. They were very seasoned soldiers. They were very impressive. And in the course of talking about what it was like to deliver the news to parents, one of the guys started to cry. And he felt really bad because men like to maintain emotional control. And you know, and so this was to him a perceived failure. So and we were in the course of talking to this and he, he basically regained his composure. And he said, he said it killed him to sit in front of a house and to know that he was going to walk up to that door, knock on it and wreck that mother's life. And we talked through that a little bit. And then he said, he said, you know, he says, I've done two tours over in the Middle East. He said, but casualty assistance is the highest duty I can do, the most respected duty I can do for a fellow service member. He said, wow. Mrs. Steen, if you give me the choice between going back to Iraq again or doing a, another casualty assistance call, I'd go to Iraq. And that sums that it up. That says a lot. That sums it up. And I you think know. that it, it makes sense that it would mm -hmm. be horribly sure. upsetting. Nobody wants to pass on that news. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that the grief that comes then, and in this book, you're talking about the, the loss of a, a child. We're talking about a survival guide for Gold Star parents. Right. And so um, I, I think most of my listeners know I work with Silver Star families, those uh -huh. who are wounded, ill, or injured, right. who end up at Walter Reed. And they have often said they... They were notified also, usually mm -hmm. by phone and then by follow-up mm -hmm. afterwards. So not quite the same thing. And their comments were, I thought I was prepared to be a Gold Star family mm -hmm. member, mm -hmm. which, no, they're really not. But let's say that, that they had thought about that, but they had not thought about being a Silver Star parent. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to Silver Star parents versus Gold Star parents, they're so grateful to have their child there, even if they are mm -hmm. altered. Whereas mm -hmm. a gold star parent is, well, people don't know what to say to them. No, we don't. And, and, and I think that lack of communication is often sometimes the most difficult part because people don't want to say it. it they don't know what to say. They don't want to harm. And you mentioned that you taught people, here's what you say, here's what you don't say. Mm -hmm. I would really like to get on this discussion today what are things that we never or would like to avoid saying? saying? Mm -hmm. Yes, because I think, let's look at this practically. Military families are going to know someone or be that someone someday. And so it, it, it ripples through an entire community, as we know, an entire mm -hmm. base. And then it goes beyond that because everybody serves around the world. So I, I would like to talk further about the notification process if you have further information to add because I don't right. want to switch our topics too quickly but I, I would love to get to that as well 
I think I, I agree with you on both, but there's something vitally important about notification that I believe as as your audience needs to understand, you know, be they professional service providers or military personnel. And that's one of the problem. Well, it's not a problem. It's a reality of a casualty notification is very often the parents um, are so, I dare say, traumatized, but it's hard for them to take in and believe what they've heard. And here's why. You know, you are notified in an official capacity by a representative from your child service branch. And they are, and you don't know that person. Okay. You just don't know that person. So you have, and that person doesn't usually have any any real-time connection to that to that incident. So they weren't on scene, that's not a first-person account, it's gonna be at least a second-person account, and the information is verified that you receive. So you don't have a first-person account of that. And the other thing you don't have is, you don't have proof. Right. You're being told this by a stranger, but you have, you have nothing that you can see, nothing that you can feel, touch, that says this horrible, horrible news is true. Um, if you're you're going to be separated by distance and, and likely by time, especially if you're a parent, you're going to be at your home. And even if you are near a duty station, you know, more than 80% of military deaths are sudden and unexpected, and many of them happen away from a duty station. And with parents, as soon as they hear their child's in trouble, the, the parent genes kick in and all the protective mechanisms of wanting to take care of their child are there. And parents find themselves frustrated because they can't do anything to help their child. Which is natural. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And so this further complicates things for them. So they have, they have some limited information. They're far away. You know, they, they have no viable proof. And it's, uh, it's hard for them to wrap their arms around this type of information. And people say, well, when the parents say, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not true. Maybe, you know, people say, well, that's denial. And I say, that's not denial. That's a reality of military loss. Um, Good for you. Right. So it's it's a tough one. Uh, when we do interact with parents um, or with any Gold Star family, first and foremost, there is absolutely no statute of limitations on when you can offer condolences. And I don't care if it's been five days, five years, or 50 years. If you feel the need to say something to a parent, you can offer condolences for the loss, the loss of their, um, the loss of their child. And I think that that is something that is very important to know because the loss of a child is just, as we all know, not a natural progression in life. I, I think that the understanding that they are far, far away. I think often there are many more questions. They don't know where they were. Sometimes they cannot be told where they are. Uh, no wonder they think it may not be true. Mm -hmm. And there's always a legend somewhere around that somebody was told this and it turned out not to be true. Absolutely. And that's a problem too. And so it's really a, the emotional connection with their child is, is broken and lost. And is there often, I've heard this from parents, there's often a, a guilt that they didn't know. They didn't feel the connection break when the person yes. died. So there's guilt, you know, and it's misplaced guilt, but it's, it's parental connection. Absolutely. And guilt has a long shelf life. I like that. Well, I don't like it, but I, I, I think that's very wise. Um, how does one deal with that? 
Well, one of the things that we, when we look at guilt, and it's a complicated emotion, but we have to realize, first of all, that we are going to feel guilty. It's natural. It's usually a natural part of grief. So don't feel bad that you're feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's rare instances where, you know, guilt may be appropriate, but most of the time it's just not rational. You know, I've, I've had a dad said to me, he was so distraught and he said, I failed my child. And I said, mm-hmm. how? And he said, I failed to protect him. And I said, okay, uh, aside from the fact that his son was, was 38 years old and married father too and was in the military, mm-hmm. parents still have that need to protect their child and they feel like they failed when that, that doesn't happen. When we look at guilt too, we have to realize that we are all, we are all perfectly imperfect. You know, we're human mm-hmm. and we're going to feel these things and we need to address them. But you can carry this around for a long time and unless unless you find sometimes the courage or the need to go forward and say, and to say to somebody, you know what, I feel guilty about this and I know it doesn't make sense. And uh, I just need to say this because I got to get it off my chest in whatever words you feel the need to do this. But I've, you know, I've been around the military. I've taught military personnel for more than uh, more years than I can count right now. And, uh, and I've never once heard anyone come in, to, come in and say, hey, you know, I really feel guilty. Let's go out and have lunch and I can share. So, <laughs> and it's not going yeah, to happen. It's not going to happen. But sometimes all it takes is just the need for someone to address to, the, to a unit, to a command, the organization, that there's going to be guilt associated with this. And then essentially open up, open up a door, give them options in order to, to talk about it. Real quick story again, because I feel there's a lot of power in stories. Mm-hmm. Um, my late husband was killed almost 25, well, 25 years ago. And we recently had a squadron re- reunion. And one of the aircrewmen came up to, the, came up to me at the union. And he said, um, this is the first time I've been back here in 25 years. And I needed to come back and see the memorial. And I needed to give you a hug. Oh. And I said... Okay, and part of me, the fight or flight kicked in. And I said, why is that? He goes, well, I just needed to. It was part of my therapy. And so he went forward, he gave me a hug, and then he said, for 25 years, I've carried around the thought that I killed the crew. He said, and I had to come here and say that and realize that that was not true. So when you think about the ripple effect of this, this poor man carried this around for all those years. And he went on to tell me how it impacted his life, his family, his marriage. But he was strong enough to seek help and then to be able to come back and to and to face it and leave leave feeling better. It's amazing. I, I think, um, you know, being able to use the word guilt is extremely important, even if he had been able to say, I always felt I could have done more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a pretty natural thing sure. that we always feel we could have done more, right. whether well, it's sure. someone who, you know, is, is taken from us um, or who takes their own lives. The mm-hmm. military is fraught with a lot of really difficult emotional issues, mm-hmm. and it, it is hard to take it in. And, and again, I think you're saying guilt has a very long shelf life is very valuable. Because if we aren't ready or open to unpacking it, mm-hmm. um, to do that hard work, we will carry it around. That's true. And it's really heavy. And so being able to release it. Isn't that, it though? Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't that feel like a good moment to you when he when hugged you? Or was it, it hard for you? It was hard for me because it was bringing up the subject for me again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt good that he was able to 
to, he was able to feel better because of this. I was really proud. Actually, I was proud of him. I, I'm proud of both of you. And I, I think that that's just remarkably strong and resilient on both your part. Not a word I generally use much anymore. Mm-hmm. We have to go on another break. We'll For be sure. right back. Don't go away. Okay. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome to Toginet, cutting edge radio. It's merging Can you keep a secret? Apparently, most women can't. According to a London study, on average, a woman can only keep a secret for about 32 minutes. One in ten women quiz said they'd had a falling out with a friend over letting secrets slip. Plastic surgery, people involved in dalliances, canoodling, and relationship problems topped the list shared in Hugger Mugger. Do the Britons gossip more than Americans? Probably not, but they certainly read more tabloids. What's a word for the enjoyment of reading about another's troubles? Schadenfreude. A quidnunc is another word for gossip. And Alice Roosevelt Longworth said it best at a dinner party. If you can't say something good about someone, sit right here by me. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. On the break, we began talking about a topic that I think is really difficult, but that does indeed exist. And it's how your child dies. Is it at Walter Reed with a drug overdose after their back? Uh Is it uh, in combat? Is it a training exercise? Is it friendly fire? We've Uh all known parents who've gone through this and have spoken about it, and it appears to be different. Is it indeed different, or is it just a different expression of grief? Linda, unfortunately, it is different. And I think what we, before we go down that road, we need to stop and look at what does affect someone when they lose a loved one. Mm-hmm. And there's two things that are paramount. The first one is the suddenness and the unexpectedness of the death is going to greatly impact how you respond in the present. Mm-hmm. And again, we just spoke in the last segment about the casualty notification process, but that suddenness and unexpectedness affects how you respond in the present. The cause of death and the circumstances will impact what you have to deal with for years to come. So suddenness and unexpectedness, how you react in the present, cause of death, what you're going to have to contend with down the road. Okay. With that said, both in in the military and predominant, particularly in the civilian community, there seems to be this hierarchy of loss. And much like I was told when I was looking for a publisher, well, the war is over. Why do we need a book? Mm. For some reason, we have the tendency of seeing deaths that happen in the line of duty, but not directly related to combat as being less relevant and less meaningful. Right. And, um, uh, I attribute this to, honestly, just the larger pattern within the country going back over, over many years where the focus has always been on war. And I'm not shortchanging, believe me, KIAs, because that is the ultimate example 
of, of sacrificing for country mm -hmm. to be killed in the active defense and protection of our rights, our freedoms, and our homeland. Mm -hmm. With that said, I received a folded flag. And there was no differentiation in the words that were spoken to me um, when I received that flag than essentially anyone else who, whose loved ones died in another manner. Flag was presented to me on behalf of a grateful nation. Mm -hmm. And we didn't differentiate that because of how he died. So this becomes, for parents, what happens is that they'll find themselves saying, well, my child died and, and tell the, you know, tell us the circumstances. And inadvertently, someone may go, oh, you know, so they, they didn't die in combat. And immediately, <laughs> immediately what that does is it disenfranchises and right. the, the loved ones you know, they, they signed up to serve, and it also disenfranchises the families. It diminishes it, their grief. It does. And all too often, all too often what happens is that they're basically feeling like it's, it's a less respected loss. We saw this really early on, right after we went into Iraq after 9-11, when a lot of organizations with the very best of intentions were giving things to to KIAs, if your loved one is killed in the line of duty, mm -hmm. you know, we will provide these services for you. But if your loved one was not killed in the line of duty, um, then you weren't eligible. And that's just wrong. A death is a death, and the military community is large and embracing in most things. But is, just right? as in society, we do tend to segment. And that's very unfortunate. Is, do you have any ideas on how we can bridge that? Um, none that I can say on the air. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, then that's a, that's, a, that's a very good answer. Let's move on. Moving so, right along. <laughs> yes, moving right along. Nothing to see here. Um, after a military death, parents go through a grieving process that can also take the form of um, emotional upheaval and loss. It can also have physical symptoms as well. It can break up marriages that were long-standing. The loss yes. of a child is just terribly traumatic on so many levels. Are there better ways that you have found in all of your teachings and, and working with military families of how to help the parents grieve? And secondary question on that, is there a different in, difference in how fathers and mothers grieve the loss? Two excellent questions. Thank you. Uh, and the first one is very often our, our mindset normally in the country and in the behavioral health community is to think of grief as purely emotion. Mm -hmm. So when we, we look at grief, we think of grief, we think of people who are emotionally distraught. In reality, grief is a package deal. Mm -hmm. And there's not just, it's not just emotional. There's actually six components to it. You know, we have some, grief is the ultimate stressor. So it's going to, in fact, it's going to impact how you, your body, how you feel. You may find all of a sudden you have a long, long-standing dormant condition that arises. Mm -hmm. It's going to impact your body. Grief is also behavioral. And very often people who can't express what they, and just because you can't express it doesn't mean that it's not right. A lot of people cry without tears. But a lot of times people behaviorally act out what they can't, what they're feeling inside. And both men and women have a tendency to do this, predominantly maybe more men. 
And uh, so there's this behavioral side. There's a cognitive side. We all know that grief can impact your ability to think clearly. Absolutely. You know, there's a, um, there's a social side to it where sometimes you don't want to interact with others and just and equally people don't want to act, interact with you. And there's also a spiritual side to it mm-hmm. where you search for meaning to the unanswerable why. Why did this happen? What, what did, you know, why? Was it me? Was it him? But it's that search for meaning that can help you find the peace of mind that's so, that's so important that so many of us crave. Yeah. It it is it is really true though. I mean, grief is is so all encompassing, and Mm -hmm. and again, I'll go back to I think we do a terrible job in this country of grieving. It it's we we do it quickly. We expect it to be over quickly, and and to just move on. And haven't you? Why can't you get over this? You know, you need you need help is what I often hear. Yeah, need help. You should, and in my book, you need and you should should be phrases never used. Yeah. Because yeah. who are you to tell me what I need? I mean, that right. is just really walk in my shoes, and even then, you can't have that permission. Absolutely. So, it's it's difficult. So differences in fathers and mothers as they grieve, and let's assume in this uh, initial stage that we are talking about those who are still in intact marriages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's um, in the in the book there's a chapter on on men in grief, and it contains this unofficial checklist in the in the back. But there's two psychologists, two sociologists, uh, Kenneth Doka and Charles Martin, who had studied men in grief, thinking that they would really sort of try to unlock the secrets of how men approach grief. And what they found is that it's less about the difference in gender, and it's more about what they call grieving styles. And the first type of grief there is is something that's just called intuitive grief. And with intuitive grief, um, the way that intuitive grievers express grief is highly emotive. Mm-hmm. And, and they're going to cry. They're going to carry on. They're going to feel really bad. And they want everyone to see how bad they feel. And the way they process their grief is through talking about it. And it's best for them to talk about it with others who share the similar loss. Mm-hmm. The other side of that is called instrumental grief. And with instrumental grievers, they hurt as deeply, but what they do is they take, they take a more um, um, intellectual approach to it. And they'll, with their grief, is they'll, they'll put more of it into action. And so, and I don't mean go out and found, you know, found, a, found a, a good cause, but let's say, those that are instrumental grievers may be the one that takes over all the details, all the planning, all the after Logistics, right. All the, all the logistics. Those are instrumental grievers. The problem is neither instrumental grievers and intuitive grievers don't understand each other. And they think the other one's doing it wrong. In our country, okay, we do men a great disservice when it comes to grief. Yes, let me say that again. We do men, they get the short end of the stick mm-hmm. because, because we expect them to be strong and stoic and be the, the rock of Gibraltar. But then on the flip side, we expect them to grieve like women, which is the standard model of being emotive. So if men are strong and stoic, okay, and, and we don't tolerate grief in men. You know, one little tear. Right. Right. One little tear, and that's about all we could take is one tear, maybe two tears if it's really a sad situation. Mm-hmm. And then they better get it together. They better buck up and be strong. 
But yeah, well, we expect is men. There, at, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we just expect men at one point to let it all out. Yeah. And they not only, they don't need to do that. Well, it may not be right for them. I mean, oh. the way people show grief is a personal choice and how they process it. I, I wish there was a, you know, a nice little, you know, checklist you could just go through and, and grief. Okay, done, done, right. check, check, check. It right, doesn't right, work right. that way. And okay. and some people do show emotions, but I also think that there is a judgment that others make about how you're grieving. Yeah. Um, oh, it seems like he's taking it in stride. He's out playing golf every weekend. Right. Well, maybe that's part of his busyness to keep his sanity, to keep right. going. Maybe right. she's cooking food and freezing it for a thousand people. And I'm doing very stereotypical things here. I didn't I mean to so. do that. Right. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? I, I think that there are ways that we all cope. Some people overly clean. Some people overly right. exercise. I don't care what it is. Um, right. I do think that there's, I wish we did not judge, you know, what's the quote right way to grieve because there isn't one, is there? No, there isn't, you know, and you know, we talk about stages of grief from Kubler-Ross mm -hmm. and they were the foundation, foundation of, of reactions, emotions, and grief. And we've moved, research has moved us so much forward in that. And what I've outlined in the book is not so much stages of grief, but the needs of grief. Right. And there are certain needs that we have to go through. And when we go through those griefs, we can get to a point where grief just doesn't consume you 24 hours a day. It's not the, it's not the overarching, you know, element that you're dealing with. And especially with parents, you know, they, they find that their grief is, they have to accommodate it and adjust to a world. Because like all survivors, Parents, in particular, suffer significant secondary losses as a result of their child's mm -hmm. death. Mm -hmm. And they think, you know, they think, oh, my God, is this is never going to end. You know, I was doing so well. And then my brother and sister-in-law became grandparents. And I realized I'm not going to be a grandparent. Mm. Yeah. Well, but those are the things that is why when you talked earlier about they're good through the notification process and, and a, a certain point. But we don't have a lot of continuing education on the year, the five years, the 10 years, no, the, no. The, the 15th Christmas, um, no. the loss of being a grandparent, those kinds of things, the, the holiday traditions, any of those things, those secondary losses, the loss of a right. future that they right. anticipated. Right. Those are the things that I wish there were more. Well, we will just have to do several radio shows because I think that this, well, no, this kind right. of information no. is very valuable and I think affirms to people that they're not losing their minds, that what they went through was really enormous and there are things that we can do to help. So uh, we're going on our last break of the program. And when we come back, let's talk about some of those things that we can do to help others, but that we can also do to help ourselves if we end up in this situation so that we are not carrying on from the losses of others. We'll be right back. Perfect. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. This is Toginet. Cutting Edge Radio. It's merging and reverse. Why 
does music give us chills? Goosebumps, or the medical term repletion, occurs while listening to music. That's because music stimulates a reward pathway in the brain, encouraging dopamine to flood the striatum, a part of the forebrain activated by addiction, reward, and motivation. Melomaniacs or passionate music lovers can get the chills from songs they are familiar with as they anticipate that long-awaited chord at the climax of the piece. Music, it seems, affects our brains the same way that chocolate gambling and potato chips do. I think I may need to stick to chocolate and potato chips because I tried piano lessons and I felt like a goose noodle. What's a word for a person who dislikes practicing the piano? A mesodactylitis. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. Right before the break, we were talking about that this segment, let's take some time to figure out how we can help both ourselves if we end up in that position or help others in that position. Because I think you mentioned earlier on that the loss of what to say and that there is no um, life, shelf life for guilt and, and none mm-hmm. for talking about condolences and the loss of a child. I think that the silence often hurts people more that when it's not acknowledged or when it's seen to be in the past or someone else is so uncomfortable. Hey, people, it's not about you. What about what about asking me? Because my child still matters to me, even though they're not here. Right, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you bring that up now because I'm gonna, let me just put this in context. When I wrote this book and in, in the process of writing it, I realized that I couldn't just write to parents that it would be in, it would be unfinished if I didn't include a section for the families, for the friends, for the relatives, for the service providers in the book mm-hmm. that Gold Star parents don't deal with this in a vacuum. And that those around them need to be informed. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage everyone okay, to read the last three chapters of the book, which is specifically for, for families, for service providers. I truly wish some of our elected officials would read it. Amen. Uh, and it, it, it encompasses, here's what you need to know about the loss. Okay, Here's what you can expect. And then there's stuff on here's what, here's the good things to say, here's not so good things to say, and here's how you can help. So with that said, let's take a look at um, the fact that most of our most of our civilian communities are not really knowledgeable about the military. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have less than 1%, right. one half 1% serving. So the first thing, if you really honestly want to help a family, is learn about it. And in the book, I have some resources for you. It just know the military structure, know that the service branches. It mm-hmm. will help to connect you with a family if you're talking about, if you're talking the family's language, because Gold Star families strongly identify with the service branch and with the military. It's a way of keeping themselves connected to their child. Mm-hmm. So we often hear, we often hear people talk about soldiers. We have lovely soldiers. I mean, I have the highest respect for the Army, but we also have sailors, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, Air Force personnel. So we want to, little things, start using the term such as service member. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's more, it's 
it shows that you have some some deeper understanding. Mm -hmm. But let's get to let's get to what do you say? Um, when it comes to when it comes to offering condolences, as I said, there's no statute of limitation on this, mm -hmm. and and so we have to remember a couple things. One is how awkward we're going to feel awkward. Let's just right. start with baseline awkwardness. How awkward we get is going to depend on whether we knew the service number, how well we know the parents, okay, how how we're connected to them, how the service number died. So. My surefire advice for offering, offering condolences is this. Whether it's military or civilian, what you can say is, I'm sorry for your loss. Mm -hmm. Okay, because you've just expressed your condolences. A better thing to say is, I'm sorry for the loss of your son, your daughter, mm -hmm. your spouse, you know, your husband, your wife. Because now you've identified that relationship. And the best thing would be to say is, I'm sorry for the loss of your son, Ken. Mm-hmm. Because now, what we just did was we've identified, you've expressed condolences, identified the relationship, and you've named them. And if you notice, I said Ken. I didn't say you, Ken and Steen, because to that mom, he's Ken. Right, right. Yeah, you know, he's Ken first, Lieutenant Steen second. Now, here's where people get themselves into trouble, because they feel that they need to say something after that. Mm -hmm. Usually, it doesn't go well. Okay. Usually, right, I mean, that's right. Less is more in this case. Less is more, you know, and the family will say, thank you, I appreciate it. But if you feel the obligation to keep on talking, then what you can say, I use this all the time with parents, as I say, thanks for raising a great son. Thanks for raising a great daughter. And I could stop right there, you know, because they did raise a good child. They did raise someone who volunteered to serve at a time when bad actors are looking to do us great harm. Now, there's a couple things we shouldn't say, which are, I, there's like this handbook of cliches, you know, and we just right. shouldn't say them. And we need to stay away from the, um, you know, away from the, well, it was God's will. It was, you know, or don't tell parents, you know, um, oh, you're strong, you'll, you'll do okay. You know, because when you're offering condolences, you need to recognize the fact that people are hurting. Or you need to respect the fact that they've had a loss and you want to acknowledge it. So I clearly stay away from, well, um, you know, with God's will, don't bring God into it unless, you can, unless you're speaking for him directly. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, or we don't want to say things like, uh, he's happy where he is, you know, or any of the things. I heard the, the worst thing I ever heard was a mom said, someone said to her, and they meant it with the best of intentions. She said, I'm so glad you have a spare child. <laughs> What? She said that, you know, and the woman, I quoted her in the book, the woman said, I was so speechless, I didn't say anything, which was probably a good thing. So, again, you know, Now, I mean, the one I hear often is, uh, uh, he died doing what he loved. Yes. Yes, I hear that, too, and I've heard that, and that doesn't, it doesn't really serve well. I mean, I think... I think if a parent said that, that's their, it's part of the process, process mm -hmm. for them to find meaning or make meaning in the death. Mm -hmm. But so much of the stuff we say are cliches. They just don't really serve a purpose. And sometimes they minimize the loss of the person you're saying it to. I know we have, we're getting short on time. Let's talk about how we can help families. Okay. All right. And, um, 
you know, we, a lot of people say, well, I've got so much stress in my life right now. You know, I can't take on any more of emotional burden. I don't know how to help people, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand that, but not everybody has to have this emotive connection to a family. And if you have a gold star family living in your neighborhood, or if you have someone who's lost somebody in a civilian, here's how you can help out, you know, skip the casserole. You know, they're great. But, you know, <laughs> right. There's always so much of that you can eat, but you know, it would really be helpful to a family if maybe you went out and you bought them some coupons for takeout food, mm-hmm. you know, and while comfort food's always, always welcome, you want to make sure they're eating healthy too, because they need, you know, it takes a lot of energy and strength. So we can buy them like gift certificates for, for places they could take out food. Mm-hmm. You know what? Or if you take, you know, if you're outside and you see somebody struggling with their trash can, take out their trash. You know, right, practical that. help. Practical help, you know. A parent may be really overwhelmed, offer to take their car to get it washed, you know, or, or say, hey, I noticed your sticker on your car expired three months ago. <laughs> Do you need a hand with that? You know, I, I think all these things that you're talking about also point to the importance of using words that are important. <sighs> That words matter. that are helpful, yes. yes. Words yes. that are helpful, not harmful. Yes. And so cliches are often used because people are nervous talking <laughs> to people. It's that awkwardness, that nervousness, etc. Um, I, I, I'm going to ask you this question. You don't need to answer because it it's personal. But how did you help the parents of your husband? Or how, how was that interaction? Okay. It was... It was um, it was incredibly good. Um, my father-in-law tragically passed away about five years after my late husband was killed. My mother-in-law, to this day, we are we are the best of friends. I am the daughter from another mother. She loves my husband. She uh, my new husband. In fact, she uh, she was at our wedding, and the book is dedicated to her. And it's a question of embracing. You know, just embracing them and realizing that uh, we can, you know, we, she's just the model of resiliency. And I, I stay connected to their family and my husband and I vacation with them. And it, it's just a wonderful experience. They were very different in their, in how they responded to grief. You know, and they were very traditional in terms of my father-in-law. You know, I'd call him up and I'd say, well, how are you doing? And he'd say, great. And I'm thinking, Really? <laughs> but that's how he that's, that's how, how he coped he, that's how he coped you know that's just how he coped and I I don't fault him for it I understand now I understand really well mm-hmm. uh, you know um, but the differences and those differences in grieving styles in a marriage oh my goodness they can wreak havoc they can oh because one doesn't understand the other and very often, one try one thinks somebody is trying to fix their grief, mm-hmm. and it's uh, case in point. Um, there was a couple I spoke with, and she was still working, and she was telling her husband how you know the, the nights were just so empty and lonely, and she was just such a loss, and they were the worst time. And with the very best of intentions, he said, "Well, maybe you should get a part-time job to keep yourself busy." Oh, dear. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Because, I mean, they were married a long time, and she mm-hmm. kind of looked at them and said, really? But that was, <laughs> he, was, he was pragmatically trying to help. Well, you know, it, it men 
are often wanting to fix women want to want to talk i mean that's the way it goes i wanted to mention one thing too that i think people need to be sensitive to or would be well served to be Uh sensitive to and that is the anniversaries of the death Uh i know that um i lost my mother in my 20s i for years you know would would, you know absolutely know when the date is coming then came a time when i recognized the day but i no longer um was affected a week before and two weeks right. after right. and and that's time that time does indeed help do right. i think about her every single day of course i do and so i think that oftentimes people can help others by recognizing that this may be a tough time and just saying a card saying i you know i was just thinking about you and ken and i remembered this i, yeah. I don't know is that a good thing to do Oh, it's excellent. And when we make those connections to somebody at a period in time, you know, one of the things I think is important is to use their name, use their loved one's name. I personally didn't like when people say, oh, I'm thinking about you this week. And it's like, well, why don't you just tell me why you're thinking about me? You know, it would be great to hear his name again. Right. And so um, we can do those things and we can call up and just to say to somebody, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about Ken today. And, and that's a good thing to have happen because you know then that, you know, as long as people speak his name, he's not forgotten. And that's super valuable. We are going to post in the show notes a link to your book. Is there a place that people can reach you uh, if they want to know more information? or sure. to be Okay. Go, and, go to my website. The website is www.griefsolutions.net. Okay. And it'll give you it'll give you some insight into the book, the other book as well, and some of the things that I teach. And um, I have I I do speaking engagements, I do training. Uh, I found a purpose and a passion in uh, in talking about this and making people more comfortable and more in a position to help others. Well, you have certainly helped a great number of people today, and we'll talk more about possibly putting out a a grief series, because I think it would be very valuable to the community at large. And thank you for giving your wisdom, your time, and obviously these stories that have great depth and meaning. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me here, and thank you for your service to uh, our, our military personnel and their families. It's appreciated. Thank you. It's nice to hear. Again, that's griefsolutions.net for more information. And we've been speaking with Joanne Steen today, author of We Regret to Inform You. We'll be back next week with another show. Thank you for listening. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your